The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. The Benton Mackay Trail is a 288-mile trail, brutal single track from Georgia to Tennessee. A new supported FKT was set on the Benton Mackay Trail recently. Uh, five days, 15 hours, Benton Mackay. Did I say Mackay? Benton Mackay Trail. The, the FKT is five days, 15 hours, 23 minutes, set by 20-year-old Hunter Leininger, you remember his dad Jeff was on an earlier episode of The Adventure Jogger, but let's find out all about the sun. Hunter is my guest on this episode of The Adventure Jogger. Welcome, Hunter. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just honored to talk to you about all of this crazy stuff. <laughs> well, let's before we get into the craziness, you're the son of a of a race director. You have been around adventure racing, you have been around ultra running essentially your whole life what is it like growing up as the son of a race director well it's i like you said i've been surrounded by my entire life since i was seven years old i've been adventure racing and running ultras and everything so it's like for me it's pretty normal it's like hey i'm just out running for 300 miles but when you take yourself out of that situation it's like oh my god i ran for 300 miles so i think it normalizes everything having your family your dad is a race director and kind of being part of the whole family business yeah, because most people will discover this somehow, and, and usually it's later in life or, you know, they, they get out of college and they decide to just kind of move through it. But yeah, since you were a kid, you've been surrounded by this. You've been with your dad as he put on races. You've worked aid stations since age seven. I mean, really, ultra running has been a part of your life essentially since day one. Basically, it's like football, baseball for everybody else, his family, adventure racing and ultras and everything. It's just like that. As in, I was honored to meet like some incredible people over the years and everybody's older than me. So everybody's 40 and up. Usually that's the age group. And then me being a little kid at seven years old, running alongside them. um, I'm just honored to be surrounded by so many great people and learn from them. Did your friends, your peers at school, did they think it was unusual what your dad did and what you like to do for fun? Oh, nobody understood. Like, not a single person. Even the cross-country team, they're like, wait, you're telling me you run like 100 miles? Like, uh, that's impossible. Like, and and nobody really understood. And I didn't really go around bragging about anything. So, like, I had a few friends that were like, that have known me like for five years and they would like freak out on me. Oh my God, Hunter, you had three word records in high school and you didn't never told anybody about it. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> so what was your first ultra hunter? Oh man. Um, so in adventure racing, it's running, biking and canoeing. Right. And I've done ultras within that. So yeah. like I've raced, um, yeah, upwards of 50 miles in one leg of a race. But my first official ultra was actually, I think it was a hundred K in Florida, like three years ago. Okay. That was my first one. Your first um, official, you, your yep. first adventure race. When did you start adventure racing? I started when I was seven years old. So, um, at that time there was no kids even thinking about doing any of this crazy stuff. So I jumped straight into an eight hour, uh, six hour adventure race. And with my dad, because he was racing for 10 years and I was like, I want to join you. And he's like, no way, no kids are allowed in this sport. Like, it's you'll get injured, you'll get hurt. And it's like, there's a reason people are 40 and up in this sport in endurance sports. And I finally convinced him to let me join him in one of the races. And I've been racing ever since I was seven years old. That's amazing. What was that like seven years old and you're doing an adventure race? Oh, it it was crazy because it was kind of uncharted territory because again, no kids were doing these endurance sports, especially adventure racing. It's one of the, it's the toughest sport on earth, in my opinion, and no kids are out there. So it was kind of uncharted territory and everybody was like in the race, um, supporting me and like wanting me to get to the finish because nobody's ever done it. So every race I went to as a kid, it was like a whole community kind of surrounded around me to try to push the limit of what's possible for a kid to accomplish. What was the distance on that first adventure race at, at seven do you remember i know it was a long time ago it was 13 years it was. ago hunter it's it's so long ago um 
it so it was a six hour adventure race and how adventure race is set up is yeah. no set course or anything so some teams like to run really far stay on all the dirt the trails and the roads and try to get to checkpoints my dad's strategy was to bushwhack straight through all the woods and <laughs> through the swamp and everything so I, I can't remember it was probably like 10 miles of running 30 40 miles of biking and like 10 miles of paddling or something like that so the distances weren't like extreme but it was that terrain, that 10 miles of running was straight through the swamp with no right. trails or anything. And it's seven years old. I mean, that's that's incredible, an incredible distance yeah. to, to cover at seven years old. Did your parents have a hard time balancing the desire you had to go farther, but still remembering that you're a kid, there's only so much a child's body can handle? Exactly. Like at the beginning, my dad was like, no, no, you can't do this sport at all. And then I was like, I kept proving myself, but we, I didn't jump straight into eco challenge. I, I right. started with something small, six hour, then I worked up to eight hour races and all the way up to a 10 day race. But it was more of just one step after the other. And I was most of the races, I always had my dad there. So if anything got really scary, my dad could take care of me and right. pull me out of the race, whatever. So it was that fine line of nobody knows what a kid can do in endurance sports yeah. and what's pushing the limit of what we can do. So it was kind of like the fine line of taking care of ourselves. And luckily I've never been injured in 13 years really of doing this crazy stuff. Wow. He's thinking about adventure racing and ultra running. They have a lot in common, but they're both very niche sports. I I would say ultra or adventure racing, a little bigger appeal because of the eco challenge television show. So people may be more aware of it just because of uh, stuff like that, but two real niche sports that are, are, are kind of, they're both low key. And it, it strikes me yes. that they have the kind of the same atmosphere. Definitely. It's, there's a reason I was drawn to ultras after being in adventure racing for so long is it's very small group of people. Everybody kind of knows each other and it's not a spectator sport really. So yeah. there isn't like really, it's crazy. You meet some of the adventure racers and they're like the most badass top athletes in the world, but you look at them and you talk to them, they're like just normal people. Like right. the number one guy, Nathan Fave, you look at him, it's like, eh, he looks fit, but he's not the top. But in my opinion, he's like the most athletic person in the entire world. And it's like crazy. And there's crossover between the two sports. I mean, Corey Woltering yep. joined Adventure Racing to be a part of the Eco Challenge television show. And it seems like there's Adventure Racers that'll switch over to Ultra. There's there's, there's crossover between the two sports. I understand. It's a bunch of crossovers. Um, yeah, like one of my teammates is used to be a professional uh, national champion mountain biker. Yeah. And then they went to adventure racing and they kind of go back and forth because it is running, biking and canoeing. So if you're a really good ultra runner, you could do really good in adventure racing. If you can be somewhere decent on the bike and somewhere decent on the paddling um, and vice versa, it's pretty much every single one of the sports is a top athlete that does adventure racing and the ultra running or biking or paddling. Would you consider your childhood a normal childhood or was it a little different because of your dad and all of his adventure races and, and race directing? Oh, it was definitely different. I, I don't think that anybody has the same kind of childhood as me as in being surrounded by endurance sports. Like again, every race I went to every weekend, I would be racing during some sort of mountain bike race, ultra or adventure race. And I was the only kid there. Little seven year old hunters running around with a bunch of 40 year olds and up and um, somehow keeping up with them. And it, it was definitely an unusual childhood and that it helped foster me to who I am now. Well, it must have been you, you go to school and you're talking to your peers about, you know, they're talking, want to talk about the Ninja Turtles. And you're like, I just bushwhacked for eight hours. <laughs> they have no frame of reference for what it is that you, you do on your weekends. Yeah, it was basically the first few years I tried to explain it. And then it was like, Ugh, it's too hard to explain. I'm walking to school Monday morning and limping and like have cuts on my legs. And they're like, what's with you, Hunter? I'm like, oh, don't worry. Just I, I got lost in the woods for like six hours. <laughs> you, had, you had to get a shirt that says, no, I'm not abused at home. I like to. Exactly. <laughs> I abuse my dad. I make him join me on all these adventures. <laughs> <laughs> so as you've gotten older and you've experienced this, when did when did ultra running kind of, you know, wet your whistle and make it go like, okay, I've done this adventure racing thing. I want to get into the world of ultras. 
Yeah, again, like you said, there's a lot of crossover. So a lot of my teammates were ultra runners and I was like, huh, that sounds interesting. What eventually ticked me over to the dark side yeah. um, was my mom started ultra running. So she worked all her way all the way up to 100 mile. And I was like, hey, I'll join you and pace you for a few races. And then I did. I fell in love. The community was amazing down in Florida. That's where I mm-hmm. was raised. And I was like, oh. So the first like three years, I never took an ultra serious. It was more of just training for adventure racing. So I would like run with my mom for like six hours and then run with another friend of mine. And that's kind of how I got introduced to her. Then I was like, oh, I think I can, I think I want to push as far as I push in adventure racing. So the next, like this past year, I've been trying to like move up and push hard and gotcha crazy challenges like run 300 miles right right we'll get to that in just a minute i wonder too if your training in adventure racing where you really can't hyper focus on one discipline where you have to do a little bit of trail running and then you also have to do mountain biking and you also have to do paddling you have to be in shape for these three disciplines i wonder if that really did help your body not you know, get overuse injuries and that sort of thing because you had to mix it up so often. Yeah, definitely. I learned a lot. Again, like we're talking about later, the 300, the Ben Mackay, I learned that like adventure racing, you do have that breakup. So a lot of aspects of it, as in you do, even though you're biking, you're not, we're not stopping or sleeping at all. You do get a rest off your feet on the bike and the paddle. But when you get to ultra running, like I was blown away my first hundred miler, like how bad my legs felt yeah and at that point i've done a bunch of the hardest adventure races but it was like oh my god being on your feet for non-stop is a different game and again adventure racing you get that rest and also you don't want to push too hard in each discipline because you know you're going to be hopping on the bike next and you can't push too hard on the bike because you're going to be paddling next so it is kind of a unique thing as you make a transition in ultra running and, and doing the you know the bent mckay trail nearly 300 miles you know that's there, there's no bike on that one you can't paddle through that do you maintain that that training philosophy that you use in adventure racing of breaking things up like some days you'll run some days you'll mountain bike some days you'll paddle yeah basically my training is yeah run bike and paddle like even though i'm training for ultras it's still trying to keep my fitness up for adventure racing and the thing is adventure racing i've been doing it for 13 years like i kind of know everything that's going to happen to my body during a race with right. ultras. I'm, I'm fairly new to it. So it's all a learning process of every single race. Like, Oh man, I didn't know my knee could hurt that bad. Right. I'm like, what do I do when my knee hurts and all this stuff? So it's definitely a learning process. <laughs> Eco challenge. That was interesting to be a part of, uh, with your dad. How, how was that for you? Oh, it was a dream come true. Like it, eco challenge is like the Holy grail of adventure racing. It's what started adventure racing. And, Ever since I started, I was like, oh, I would wish Eco Challenge would come back and be a part of that. And luckily it did come back and I got invited on the show and was fortunate enough to be on the show. And they actually gave us airtime. So it was pretty cool just to, to finish that whole thing and be the youngest person in history to ever do it. It was it was interesting. I, I, I do think this time around when they did it on Amazon Prime, they had far too many teams because it did seem like there was a couple of teams that they really focused on, and then peripherally, you saw the other teams here and there. Like, there was way too many people on that show to really dive deep into more than just a couple of teams. And you were one of those teams that you did get airtime uh, on the series, but it was just kind of in passing. There was a, a couple of, of, of focus moments, but there really wasn't enough time to really get you know, down and dirty and, and get kind of into your team. Um, were you a little disappointed watching it? Like thinking like, my God, you guys filmed 500 hours of footage and that's all you decide to put in. Yeah, that, that was the thing. It was, they could have made, Oh my God, like 50 episodes of hour long episodes and people would still watch because it was a fine line of, they wanted a bunch of teams. So they had a bunch of stories, but I think they had way too many stories. Yeah. It was like, there's so many great teams out there that had no airtime or anything. And so many great stories. Like even us personally, we're just fortunate enough that we had even a second of airtime right. because they showed a few of our stories, but we had just each team, like each team had like 50 plus stories that could have been airtime that could have been on the show. So they only chose like three of ours. Right. And it's like, Oh man, you should have got that one where we were rock climbing and like, I sprained my ankle and I started bleeding like all these crazy stuff that like, I wish they had a lot. They just released all that footage because right. there's so many teams with so many stories, like and so many great people that they could have filmed. And it's that fine line of 
yeah, they had to cut it down to 10 hours long. And that seems like a long time. But when you're talking about a 10 day race, oh, there's a lot of footage. 10 day. How many teams were? Was it 18 teams? 66 teams. Six, oh, sorry. A way off. 66 <laughs> teams. 66 teams. 10 day race. That's a lot, a lot of potential footage. And maybe you whittle that down to 10 teams. You can have a, you know, you, you'd be on it for more than a half a second because it was like a blink and you missed the, the line of curse. You know, it was, it was a little <laughs> crazy. Maybe next time I was thinking about this. You and your dad seem to have a really good relationship, which doesn't play well on television. You know, there was that show, um, American Chopper. I don't know if you've ever seen that show. You don't strike no. me as a person who watched a lot of television. It was the show where uh, a father and son team built custom motorcycles. So like, you know, someone would say like, oh, we're having our, our, our 50th anniversary. My husband was a firefighter. Make him a custom motorcycle. And so they make a motorcycle that looks like a fire truck. But the yep. father and son could never get along. They screamed at each other constantly. You know, be like, well, I think we should. I don't think you're an idiot. And they'd throw chairs at each other and stuff. And people love that show for like 10 seasons. So if you go on Eco Challenge again, you and your dad need to plan out some fake fights that you can have. Uh, definitely. I think the next time we're going to be total actors, Kardashians and everything and start yelling, at you, I hate you. I'm never going to talk to you again. And that was the thing. We were so focused on just finishing the race, but the TV show is just a side thing. And I know some teams focus on, oh, it's a TV show. Let me right. focus on that. And we realize a lot of the times that like, uh, injury would happen to our team cameras would like just come like five camera crews would come and we're like then we're like dismiss the injury oh it's no big deal and they all disappear <laughs> so we started like along the race like okay maybe if we get injured now the camera crew is so what am i there's a funny part that they didn't put on but um my teammate tripped and cut her like slashed her foot open and it yeah. was only like an inch or two but the cam the camera crews made it like oh my god are you gonna are, are you gonna drop out and she just milked it she's like oh i don't know i it, is, it hurts really bad but um uh, yeah so many and the, the the narrative of the show is the world's toughest race it, it right, was the right. hardest race ever like there's nothing really comparable to it but for a father and son an 18 year old kid we were enjoying the entire time. We were just so fortunate that we were there racing that we really had no low points that it, that doesn't make good TV. Usually right. high five and smiling, making jokes like the entire race. We were making jokes, but that's not everybody else is supposed to be dying. And then right. there's this kid running along the course, happy. So, right. But, yeah. We're fortunate. We had some airtime. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, next time you got to get a really out of shape guy on the team. Like just pull a random stranger off the street yep. just just for the for the drama factor. You know, like well, you and your dad have been doing this for years, and you know what you're doing, but you've got to have the fish out of water guy who complains all the yes. time. That sounds fun. Just pick a bunch of random people off the streets, and we try to like tell them across Argentina or wherever the next one. Will be. Now, your dad takes all of this very seriously. When you did your FKT on on the Benton Mackay Trail, you weren't like slumming it in a in an old Subaru Forester. Your your dad got an an, an ambulance. Well, like the, the, well, tell us about the ultra vehicle oh, for you yes, guys. So I bought. I was researching like van life and rv and like what type of van i could do these fkts out and i started doing the pricing it was like forty thousand dollars if i really kitted out a yeah. good sprinter van or something like that and i came across the ambulance i was like they're pretty much built like rvs and i picked one up i paid six thousand dollars and i i custom made everything inside with the bed and the shower like all this stuff so it is like the ultimate rv for support fkt support vehicle whatever i could come in and lay right down in a bed if I had to, um, which I didn't sleep much, but I wish I could sleep in that bed. That was comfortable. A $6,000 ambulance. How many yep. miles were on this thing and what kind of shape was it in when you picked it up? All right. Here's the surprising part. $6,000. It got me um, a 7.3 diesel only with 100,000 miles. It's dually. It has everything was perfect. Like there's not a, like it wasn't broken at all. Uh, we took it in the shop. It was like $20 for the order chain or whatever. Like it was flawless for $6,000. Like it is such a steal for these things that like, I'm, I know just saying this, people are going to go online and buy ambulances now, but for $6,000, I got pretty much a sprinter level vehicle that I didn't have to do any work to really. I just added the bed. That's it. Did you have to take it's the, such a steal. you take the, the sirens off uh, and the flashers, right? 
nope. <laughs> uh, luckily, I bought it directly from the mechanic, and he didn't take any sirens or lights off. Yes, I can't drive down the road, but I... Uh, Back in the woods, I can maybe turn them on. <laughs> well, this is a genius idea when you think about it. Everybody's been talking about these sprinters, but the reality is you have an old ambulance. And all of a sudden, yeah. let's say you're running, you get stuck in traffic, and you've got to get to an aid station, flash them bad boys on, and all of a sudden everyone gets out of your way. You'll never miss an aid station again. Exactly. And the great thing about ambulances, is you don't even have to turn the lights on. Like, I'll be driving <laughs> down the road, and people are, like, pulled over. I'm like... <laughs> Do I actually have my lights on? But no, people like see an ambulance and without the lights on, they just like get out of your way and not a single rude driver. Everybody, you turn your blinker on, you can push everybody out of the way. Um, so it's a steal. There's a lot of benefits to it, especially the driving. <laughs> Hunter, you've changed the the ultra in crewing game forever. The FKT game has been changed to be a whole lot of dirt bags that are getting rid of their sprinter because they, <laughs> they want, they really they want a sweet ass ambulance. <laughs> Dude, it's the best. Everything about it is this a lot more roomy than a little cargo van. I thought that was your dad's idea. I had no idea that you were the brains behind the ambulance. Yep. I was the brains behind it. And he's the one that's like, Oh, let's, let's do all these customization, put a roof rack and an awning and all this stuff. So yeah, I, I was a brain chire behind it and he's kind of like helped me foster <laughs> customize it and go crazy with it. <laughs> All right. So let's talk the Benton Mackay trail. When did that get on your radar? Mm. So the Benton Mackay trail got on my radar about uh, five years ago. Mm -hmm. um, my dad and I were hiking up in Blue Ridge and saw this white diamond on the tree and we're like, huh, what's that trail? And we researched about it. And we're like, oh my God, this goes 300 miles all the way up to the Smoky Mountains. And my dad and I as endurance athletes were like, oh, let's let's hike the whole thing, but let's try to get the fastest time. Let's be the fastest time. This is way before I knew anything about FKTs or anything. And yeah. before I even got an ultra running and we saw six days and that's the tricky thing about FKTs. You could sit back on the computer and like, kind of like look at them and like, Oh, the math seems pretty easy. Right. That's 60 miles a day or 50 miles a day. That seems doable. And that's, I, I've learned the hard way by the math is not as easy as it seems. <laughs> and um, we actually wanted to go do it five years ago before any of us had any ultra experience. Yeah. And my dad's not super fit. Um, luckily, we didn't do it because that would end it really badly. Yeah. So it's always been in the back of my head for five years. And um, the past year, I've wanted to do it, but I had no place in my calendar for it. And after careering and pacing Corey, last month for the his fkt on the penhody i was like huh i think it's time i, I feel like my body's good i want to go do it next week <laughs> so with one week of preparation i was on the northern terminus of the Mackay and started doing it so i jumped straight into it thinking my body was all rested but yeah i i found out pretty quick it wasn't <laughs> did you and Corey get get hooked up through the whole being on the eco challenge together yeah so um pre-race before we had the pre-race interviews and we were actually on the same van together driving to the interview location. And I had no clue who he was. Right. He didn't know who I was. And we just started chatting and everything and then stayed connected ever since. Very cool. And you gave him some help, uh, his incredible FKT on the Benhoti Trail. And you're thinking, okay, all right. I've been thinking for a while. I know dad's not in the shape to do this, but this may be my thing to step out and try and get my own FKT. Exactly. And that's why like two weeks later, after careering and pacing, Corey, I ran, I paced him for 140 miles of his FKT. And I was like, oh, I feel good after 140 miles. Took me like a day or two to recover. But little did I know my legs were super tight and I started doing 300 miles. And within the first two miles, my legs were like, nope, you are not recovered. <laughs> so you're, you're starting this thing thinking these legs are fresh. You get yeah. two miles in. You're two miles in. Two miles in, 286 miles to go, and you're like, oh, okay, I'm not where I thought I was. My legs are still kind of sore. Yes, exactly. Like, I think any normal person would have been like, all right, let's close shop. Yes, I'm two miles in. I'll turn around, go right back to the start, and I'll come back next month when I'm rested. But right. I committed to myself that I was going to finish the Bemakai, the 288 miles without... Even if I wasn't getting the record, I'm going to finish this thing. And right at mile two, I had this insane, like, sharp pain in my knee. And at mile two, I'm like, oh, it's no big, it's probably just some random thing. But it ended up being, like, my IT band was, like, pulled and, like, dislocated my kneecap over, like, from mile two, I'm, like, limping, which causes me to have shin splints at, like, mile 10. That's, like, most painful thing ever. 
And I had to wrap my head around, okay, I have to keep going for 280 more miles of this pain and still try to set FKT. When any, like any, like I said, any normal yeah. person would be like, eh, I'll just call it quits. I'll come back next month. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. I think maybe um, the, the lesson here is, you know, and you're not the, the age to drink, but don't go on FKT.com and just peruse. It's like Zillow. When you go on Zillow and you start looking at houses, you're like, oh, that's not bad. I could totally afford to live there. You're on FKT.com and you're like, oh, totally doable. Even though my leg's hurting, I can still do this thing. Did it loosen up at some point? Did you did your your body adjust or were you dealing with with pain basically from two miles in on? It was basically 300 miles of limping, um, constant pain in my knee. Um, it, by far the most painful thing I've ever dealt with and which causes you once your knee hurts and you start limping again, your shins go out, then your hip goes out then your back goes out. So it was 300 miles of a lot of pain and somehow I kept going and it was the deepest I've ever dug in my life. I thought I did a lot of tough things with yeah. eco challenge and everything, but I've never had to dig so deep in my life to like finish this thing and being injured pretty much for the entire thing. I still did it. This is not, by the way, like a rails, a paved rails to trail. This is a brutal technical trail. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's by far the most technical trail I've been on and I've, been all over the country on a bunch of trails. It's, I, I compare it to the Appalachian Trail, but more rugged and rocky and technical. Like it goes through the Duncan Ridge, and uh, there's a few races and down here on the south yeah. that the Cruel Jewel 100 and the Georgia Death Race, and those are known as like the toughest races right. in the south. And it uses the Bimakai for sections, and in my opinion, those are like the easiest trails in the entire Bimakai. <laughs> which that's saying a lot. Like the, the trail is so rugged. I think. It was 10 miles of pavement and I would say like 25 miles of runnable terrain. Everything else is just straight up 72,000 feet of elevation gain in 300 miles. Just try to wrap your head around that. That's like insane. That is absolutely insane. And to think about just the pain two miles in. Why did, you know, a lot of people, because I mean, it's not like this was something you're right. You could have come back a, a month later. What, why did you continue to push with pain from mile two limping for, for 200 miles? Why didn't you decide to just go like, I'm going to go ahead and rest this up and I'm going to try it again. Oh man. It's a lot of things. Again, I, I committed to doing 300 miles from the beginning and not to prove to anybody else. And not my dad, my mom couldn't care less if I, Hey, I'm done. Let's call him back next month. Right. They're but not going to kick you out of the house. They're not going to be like, okay, this is, you said you're going to run 300 miles. You cut it short. Guess what? You're not living rent free in this house anymore. Get out, Hunter. <laughs> Basically, nobody could care less. Everybody would be like, oh, you did a great job. It's totally understandable. And that's just the, the common way to think of it. It's like, yeah, there's no big deal. What, even if you drop out of one of these. But for me, I committed from the beginning. And I was like, no matter what happens. And for me, it kind of messed up in my head. I was like, oh, if I'm injured from the beginning and I'm had to limp 300 miles and I finish this thing and somehow the FKT was kind of off my radar. Right. If I get this FKT, oh my God, what else can I do? If I can limp through 300 miles with that much pain, what a hundred mile run ultra next or next year is going to be easy. Like, I think that was like kind of a mindset. If I can make it through this tough thing, anything else after this is I will be a lot more prepared for it as in I know that I could struggle through 300 miles, five days of just constant pain and suffering. Interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> what was the lowest part of your time on the Benton Mackay trail? Um, so since I only planned this one week out from actually attempting it, I, I didn't have any pacers in line. It was only my dad and my mom crewing me. And one of my other buddies came out for the first day or two and so i ran 150 miles completely alone and this the weather was so bad with tropical like um thunderstorms yeah. nonstop that nobody was out on the trail at all so i didn't see anybody i think i saw five hikers the entire 300 miles really and yeah that was pretty rough the first 150 miles being completely alone my lowest point was actually after i think 120 miles i was going up this mountain it was one of the highest points it was like 6000 feet i stayed up on this ridge line once i got up on top and it was only supposed to be a six mile gap before I saw my, my crew. Yeah. And, mom and dad. No before you saw mom and dad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there was supposedly no uh, bad weather in the forecast, clear skies. 
I get, I leave with like just short sleeve and pant, like shorts and a little windbreaker. Yeah. And all, the bottom fell out. It, the temperature dropped down like 35 degrees. It complete thunderstorm where I'm climbing up this mountain and it was hailing on me. It was actually hailing on me in April and the south like it was yeah. crazy thunderstorm but i was like okay i can make it through six miles i'll see my crew up on top of the mountain and unfortunately the road up to there was an old first four service road that was really muddy and really bad that my crew actually drove off the road off the mountain and got stuck so the ambulance no- is stuck at this point yes stuck the truck was stuck up there i had no clue they weren't going to get to that resupply point i hiked six miles get to the parking lot it's like 2 a.m and no, no crews there there's like two cars parked in the parking lot, um, torrential downpour and everything. I'm freezing, like with no food or water because I timed it perfectly to run out of food and water yeah. right before I got to the crew. So I'm like, I can't go another 10 miles up this mountain for with no food or water. So I laid underneath the SUV that was parked in the parking lot where, where I was hailing. So I was like, that's the only dry spot. I lay underneath there for like 20 minutes and I start shivering and get like hyperthermic. I'm like, I have to go. I looked at my options. I was like, either I stay here and possibly freeze and die because nobody's going to come rescue me. Right. Or I keep going for 10 miles with no food or water or anything in this crazy storm. And I, I decided to keep going. And as soon as I climbed to the top of the mountain, I got reception, called my mom. And it's like, uh, were you guys not, could you guys not make it to the cruise stop? And they're like, no, we drove off the mountain. So I'm like, crap, I had to go 10 more miles with like, I, I don't know. It's like thousands of feet of elevation yeah. going up this mountain torrential downpour winds like 40 miles per hour on top of this thing and i have no clothes like i have short sleeve shirt and <laughs> shorts and yeah like that's it it was definitely the scariest moment like i knew if i kept moving i would be fine but if i tripped and fell or twist my ankle i possibly could die out there like there's nobody to come rescue me i'm in the middle of the woods yeah no hikers out there to come rescue me um so i luckily i kept moving i didn't break anything and fall and after like 10 more miles and no food or water or anything um i made it to the cruise stop and survived <laughs> man that's a hell of a story to share i'm hiding under an suv to avoid the hail and to think too if you were able to go that far you're planning on doing you know five six miles with you know you were you're packed for that and then you had to do a full you know 10 more on top of that I mean, you had been thinking at that point well crap if i can do that i can do anything yeah, basically. And that was with the 140 miles on my leg, legs. Yeah. And it was so cold that if I just walked, I would have got hypothermic. Like I was like shivering nonstop. So I was having to throw down like 12 minute pace, 10 minute pace on top of this mountain with like rivers. Like the trail was like totally washed out. And again, that's when the adventure racing comes into it because I've been adventure racing is totally, that's like all of adventure racing. Things go wrong and you have to just keep moving no matter if you have no food or water or anything. You just keep moving. And that's what adventure racing are kind of transferring those skills in ultras that taught me because a lot of people, if they were in that situation, I don't know what they would have done. Um, I just knew as an adventure racer to keep moving forward and no matter, I wasn't going to get rescued if I stopped there. Was there a thought in your head when I get to the van, this is over? No, again, uh, the full commitment. Uh, I was like, no matter what happens, I'm, I don't think I'm going to die um that was the only caveat if i'll stop moving if i was gonna die or like something serious really was gonna kill me <laughs> but i was like if i get injured no big deal. i just keep going and i got to the cruise stop and it was the only time pretty much i slept more than one hour um i got to the cruise stop i jumped in the ambulance it was on full blast heat and i slept for an hour then bam i get pushed right out of the ambulance and had to keep going for another 140 miles <laughs> Interesting. And, and the mental game really sounds like before you even started, you gave yourself one out yep. and that was death or serious injury. Yeah. And that would be the only excuse you would allow to quit is death or serious injury. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds really bad when you say it, but yeah, it was because <laughs> I, I know my body and like there's a lot of fake pains that like that seem really serious when you're out there. Right. And I, previous years, I, I used that as an excuse to like quit a race or drop out of ultra or whatever, because it was like, Oh, I've never felt this pain in my life. It's probably really serious. Let me stop. Right. But uh, this was like a test to me, like how serious are the pains and how hard can I push and keep going? And uh, yeah, I, I'm just a miracle that I 
made it. <laughs> it's, it's really, it's, it's awesome. You know, it's, it's almost, there's, there's a party that says like, that's ridiculous. You yeah. know, you're 20 years old and nobody would have blamed you like, well, crap, I'm just going to go ahead and I'll, you know what? I got two miles in, my legs aren't feeling fresh. I'm going to go ahead and just try this again. No one to blame you, but to plow through the entire time. I mean, that is incredible mental toughness. Yeah, like physically, I'm pretty fit, but not as fit as everybody else in ultra and everything. My strength is, I think, my mental, as in, I, I can, I think, I could do almost anything because of my mental. Like as long as my body can kind of keep up, um, and every race I do, it kind of sharpens that, and I learn more from that. I've learned so much from this 300 miles that, like, I'm excited for the next thing I do, and like, how hard can I push? And I know I can make it through all that pain and yeah. keep going. And even though with the crazy weather and all that stuff and yeah, like I almost got hyperthermic and all of a sudden I, within an hour of stopping, I'm right back out there on the trail and keep going. Have you always had this mental toughness or is this something you had to, to train to get? It's definitely training like um, 13 years of being, again, I was raised in this. So I kind of have yeah. advantage and, like, since uh, 13 years of doing this, I've been kind of surrounded by all of this and. I thought I was tough like last year or two years ago doing eco challenge. I thought I was mentally tough, which I was right. But like every single year I get stronger and stronger. So like, I'm excited when I'm like 40 years old, how like <laughs> strong mentally I'll be, or if no, I'm not injured. <laughs> no, you're going to reverse. Here's what's going to happen. Hunter, you're going to reverse the standard story. Most people start getting in shape in their late thirties, early forties. Cause like, Oh crap, oh. I'm not a kid anymore. That's when you're going to let yourself go. <laughs> let's hope not let's hope there's 80 years of doing all this crazy stuff if i can make it that long <laughs> when you're 40 you're going to discover pie and the couch yeah yeah i i discovered that i eat pie in the couch like for weeks after a race, so <laughs> i'm not waiting until i'm 40 to discover that what did you what did you eat talking about oh. food wise when you're doing this fkt so um i I've been vegan for a year and like really strict on the diet and everything. And then I kind of like let that go because it's like when you're out there doing this, yeah. I realize no matter what food or fuel you put in your body, you burn it so fast that like, even if it's really bad calories, it almost doesn't matter. It's kind of whatever you crave. Like I do balance a lot of, I was drinking smoothies a bunch, but then I'm also eating cheeseburgers whenever I want. Um, it, it was just eating nonstop. Like I think I did 10,000 calories a day out there. Um, just nonstop eating that keeps you awake and keeps you moving. So you're vegan for a year. Yeah. And then you said, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to be vegan for this FKT. I, I don't that. And especially let, let's be honest. You may be able to vegan up an FKT in the Western United States where there's avocado toast everywhere, but in the, in the American South, there's not a whole foods at the, at every trailhead. So yes, it's to totally when I was, uh, I, so I was vegan up to Corey's FKT because when I was pacing him, I would finish my pacing shift and it's like, Hey, you guys got any food? And he's not vegan at all. Right. And I'm like, Oh, there's no food. I can eat French fries and McDonald's. And I was like, no, give me that cheeseburger. That's kind of when I was like, again, like you said, down here in the South is no avocado toast on delivery. <laughs> <laughs> what was that first burger? Like, after a year of of being vegan oh so i'm pretty good with like I, after every big race i let myself go <laughs> and i just let myself eat whatever i want but that first mcdonald's was like i was like what what is this i forgot what it tasted like <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> when you do these these big long races and you're you're you know 288 miles you're doing the bent mckay trail the halfway point. Mm. What is that? How does that feel when you know, like, okay, every step I've taken up to this point has got me to the halfway point. Now, every step beyond this is a step home. A big motivator for me for out there to not quit. And I didn't think it was going to be a motivator, but when I got like 140 miles in and I was that storm hit and everything, yeah. it was more like, oh, man, if I quit now, I know I'm going to want to come back here in a few months or next year or whatever. But I don't want to go do that 140 miles again. That was the most, most gnarly technical trail ever. And I almost died back there. I don't want to go back there. So that was a big motivation. I was like, even 10 miles in, I'm like, oh, I'm already 10 miles in. I don't want to lose all this progress. So it was definitely that motivator. I don't, 
want to have to go back and do this course because <laughs> knowing me, if I don't succeed at something, I'm going to want to come back and do it again. So you're like, this sucks so much. There's no way I'm coming back to do this part again. <laughs> it, was, it was a beautiful trail. I love it. It's still my favorite trail, and I would love to go back there. But for setting FKT on it, it's like one and done. Like <laughs> it's, even if somebody beats my record, it's like, up. Oh, I it doesn't matter. My experience, you can't take away from it. And I loved it. And yeah, it's such, such a tough trail. <laughs> what was the highest point? We've we've talked about the lowest point when you're sheltering under an SUV, a stranger's SUV, to try and get out of the hail. What was the high point? So the that's the great thing trail. about these endurance sports and adventure racing and ultras is there's highs and lows and right. they're usually followed right after each other. So when you're in that low, you got to know, Hey, three hours from now, I'm going to be on a high and feeling great and running really fast and everything. So that's, that's mental thing. Keep telling myself that. And the high actually came like 40 miles after that. I saw my first pacer because I was like, my pace was slowing down. And after that, that big storm, I'm like, going slow yeah and my mom and dad put out a post hey we need pacers and it's kind of hard to ask somebody to come out tomorrow to pace somebody in the woods um, right. but i had some great friends come out and that was like the best site i'm like oh my god what are you guys doing here because they didn't tell me yeah and i see them and all of a sudden i start running again and i haven't been running in the past like 40 miles um so that was definitely a high being able to see my friends because i'm a very social person yeah and being out there alone for 150 miles and not seeing pretty much anybody besides my mom and dad every 10, 15, 20 miles. Um, it was definitely a great sight to see them and everything. Now, the, the finish for a standard ultra is pretty anticlimactic. I mean, it just depends when you finish, right? If you're finishing in the yep. middle of the night, there's one person in the tent, the other person's falling asleep. You know, there's, there's just maybe your crew there and you get like this. <laughs> yeah, good job. All right. And, and it's, it's not like you've just won the Boston Marathon. I can imagine... The finish of an FKT, especially as one as, as brutal and remote as the Bent Mackay Trail, that has to be even more so. What was it like to to look, you know, you've got just a couple of miles left. You've got, you know, this 288-mile monster. You know the FKT is going to happen now because, you know, you're, you're kind of in that zone. What were those last miles in the finish like? Oh, man. Um <laughs> That's the thing, the FKTs, it's, you never have it in the bag until you're like within sight of the FKT because I only had like, I don't know, 50 miles left and I had like over a day to finish it. And I was yeah. like, oh yeah, and sitting back on the couch, I'm like, oh, that last 50 miles, I can pound it, really do good and crush it. And you really don't have it in the bag until you're like there because that 50 miles took me way longer than I would ever think. Yeah. And just walking up that up the finishes at Springer Mountain, so right where the Appalachian Trail ends, and it was like 2 a.m. There's nobody up there, and I didn't have a whole lot of paces at the point. I had one pace to walk with me, and then my dad and my mom hiked that last mile with me, and then uh, my little brother, but it wasn't a big fanfare. You're finishing 300 miles. Right. It should be three times the crowd than 100 mile, right? I don't know, but that's a great thing about FKT. It is kind of like that, I don't know, small knit group of people to support you and it's those people that you've been seeing for the past six days right congratulating you at the finish it's like yeah it's not very climatic i guess like <laughs> <Right>. you said <laughs> now i've seen like people will drink champagne when they when they yep. get an fkt you're 20 years Lots. old yeah so what was the celebratory beverage of choice for 20 year old hunter leininger as he got the fkt on the benton mckay trail i, I think a sprite it was a warm Sprite that wasn't refrigerated, just a Sprite on top of the mountain. And then when you finish, the, the thing is, most of these trails, they finish in like the middle of nowhere. So like on top of Springer Mountain, I finish and now you have to hike down Springer Mountain. So it's like, oh my God, I thought it was done. And just the hike down took like an hour long. <laughs> it's like, great. Why can't you finish right in like my house? Why isn't there a parking lot at the finish line of this trail? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you have your celebratory sprite you head on home you know you're young and, and and new to this ultra game although you've been doing adventure racing for well over a decade so where do you kind of want to go now what do you see yourself doing in the next year or so in the world of ultra running yeah i've spent the past week kind of tossing it around because of course when you're out there it's like oh i don't want to do this again right but then as soon as you finish you're like i want to do that it was awesome <laughs> i um, do want to do that so, again yeah. and 
I've been tossing around the day like in my head. I haven't really told any pe- that many people, but it's like, do I want to do another one of these 300 miles and not be injured from the beginning? And now I know what to expect and right. really crush one of these trails. Or like a hundred miles sounds very appealing now. I think there's something too, like doing something really long, because if you think a marathon's long, go do 50 miles. And then right. that marathon seems easier. Right. So I was like, oh, I can do a hundred miles. I can just pound it out. So I really don't know what I want to do yet. I, I think I want to do another one of these big FKTs. Um, but I might just do a few hundred miles and see how fast I can do it. Because I like, I like the, the pain isn't as much like <laughs> you don't have to dig you still have to dig really deep. Right. right. So I'm not saying I don't right. be hating me for that, but again, the, the suffering ends that in 24 hours, usually 30 hours or something like that. So I don't know. Are there any, um, hundred dollars you have your eye on that you're thinking of pulling the trigger on ultra sign up? So the Georgia jewel, that's like right by my yeah. house. Um, Pinhody, there's, there's a few. And then I, I would love to do one of the big dogs, um, like hard rock or, Barkley next year that's that's something on my radar um oh really because that's that's totally what adventure racing is it's map and compass bushwhacking nonstop, and it's like hey that sounds appealing like so Barkley is one of the things i've always been looking at and i think if i train i can be physically ready for it how does the ultra uh or sorry the adventure racing community how does the adventure racing community look at Barkley? um i don't it's it's very much like it's the Holy Grail. It's like the, one of the top ultras, but for adventure racing, it's like, Hey, that's, that's what we do on the weekends. Like through the, yes, it is really tough and everything, but it's basically it, what adventure race is. And I know there's a lot of adventure racers that have actually done the Barkley. And I don't know if, yeah, I think some have finished. Uh, I know a lot have done um, fun runs and everything, but it's totally what we do. Like a lot of us aren't intim- tim- intimidated by the navigation, but that elevation gain and everything and how tough it is. And, I know those mountains are really gnarly. So it's definitely something like I want to do because it's totally what I've been doing for the yeah. past 13 years. Kind of. How, have you signed? Have you tried to get in yet? Have you sent that email? No, I have not sent the email. I, I, I'm, I was last year I was ready to, but then I was like, I had other plans and everything, but um, I think next year might be the time. <laughs> so the, the email's already written. You just have to press yes. send at the right <laughs> time, right? Basically, yep. <laughs> <laughs> just ready. I have it timed. It's just one button at the push. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I, I've always kind of looked at Barkley and you know, having run out at Frozen Head just for just for fun. I've never wanted to do that race because I'm like, I do not have the self discipline needed or the physical fitness or the sense of direction to ever make that uh, happen. I've seen all the documentaries. That's about as yes. close as I'm going to get. But yeah, I think with uh, with with your adventure racing background, you're kind of uniquely qualified in a way since you've been adventure racing since age seven. Maybe uniquely qualified to give this thing a shot. Yeah, and I hope. And again, I've never done it, so I have no opinion of how tough it really is. Because of course, everything looks relatively doable online. But I know out there, it's way harder than I can even imagine. So I I have no clue if I can even do one lap out there. But I, I think. I'm excited to maybe give it a try next year. <laughs> it's good to have a healthy respect. Just have that healthy yes, respect. All about respect. Yes, you can't be like, ah, I've adventure race since I was seven. Barkley, Schmarkley, I'll take this thing down easily. Nope. I yeah, I, I have a confidence, but it's not anything like I have so much respect for everything. Like after doing this 300 mile yeah. FKT, it's like I gained so much respect. I'm like, I'm never judging anything ever again online. No matter what accomplishment somebody does, I'm never judging because I'm not there doing it myself. So I think right. that's a big lesson to learn. Like if you're not there doing it, because I thought being out with Corey for hundred, pacing him for 140 miles, I had a sense of what he was going through, but I didn't until I did it myself. And I think that's, and I still probably didn't know what he was going through because it's a different trail and right. everything. Um, but that's, that's pinnacle of Barkley. I have no clue. I've never done it. So I know it's tough and just... Yeah. Was there a moment on the Benton Mackay trail where you were like, God, I'm an idiot sitting on that couch, reading that FKT and going, Oh man, 50 miles a day. This ain't nothing. Was there, was there a moment where you kicked yourself? I, I kicked myself with a strategy because coming from an adventure racing background, I can push for like five days with like three hours, two hours of sleep. And it's doable because you have that kind of the rest between biking and running and paddling but i was on my feet for 300 miles 288 miles yeah and i underestimated how taxing that was on the body 
and how my strategy going into it was like, oh, I can sleep for maybe three hours and total the entire thing. Right. And that made me as walking zombie and being injured and everything. It, it was really tough. So I was kicking myself like, oh, God, you idiot for wanting to like reinvent the weird. There's a reason people sleep for six to eight hours a night on these FKTs because it's almost impossible to keep moving at, at that with no sleep. <laughs> How long when you got home finally, when the ambulance pulls into the driveway and you hobble into your room, how long were you out for? Oh, I think like 14 hours. And then every single day this week, I can't go through without taking a nap. Like yesterday was the first day I was up for like period of time. And, but every single day I've been taking a nap and sleeping for 12 hours. And unfortunately my dad, as a race director, like talking about being surrounded by race directing, my dad had a race yesterday Yeah, and the adventure race. And he's like, I need you out there. I'm like, I'm like a zombie. I can't even run. <laughs> I stayed up for 40 hours without sleeping, helping put on that race. So I'm like, great. That's a great recovery. Now I have to spend another week sleeping <laughs> to recover. <laughs> but as soon as I thought I was back to normal, it's like, nope, back, right back in the cycle. Listen, Hunter, I need you. But dad, I just said an FKT. <laughs> Is that not enough? Can I take a break? Can you find somebody else to help me out? Yep. Basically, that, I was saying that to myself the whole time. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> thought i was finally back to being somewhat on a normal sleeping schedule than 40 hours of no sleep that's yeah it's, that's tough enough alone but when you've had no sleep the past week it's kind of tough exactly well i have a feeling that we're going to be hearing a, a lot from you coming up in the future hunter because you got a really great base and appreciation for the sport and just the the, the no quit attitude i think goes a long way Yep, I hope I hope to do. I'm pretty like again. I'm pretty new to ultra running, so I'm excited to see what I can do in the future. And yeah, thanks for everything. Like the community is the best in ultra running. Like adventure racing, and ultra running is such a be- great community that they're supportive about everything you do, and no matter how you do, if you're the back of the pack or the leaders, it doesn't matter. Everybody's equal. I think that's pretty awesome. I have a feeling this will not be the only time you're on the adventure jogger hunter. I hope I'll be back. All right. Good to learn all about Hunter Leininger. I have a feeling we're going to be hearing a lot from him. Thank you for joining us on The Adventure Jogger, and thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode. We are 100% listener-supported. You can make a monthly pledge on our Patreon page. Just search The Adventure Jogger on Patreon or go to theadventurejogger.com. Join the community on Facebook and Instagram by searching The Adventure Jogger. And subscribe to The Adventure Jogger wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. 